If you make a living off of bad faith arguments, grandiose posturing, and theatrical bluster, I'm not going to feel real bad for you when the rage machine that you've worked to make millions of dollars a year ends up turning on you and maybe misinterpreting something you said. I guess that's why I don't feel all that bad about the reaction that people have had to Skip Bayless's tweet, this one, that he sent out after DeMar Hamlin was injured in Monday night's game where he said, no doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome, which suddenly seems so irrelevant. I feel like most people didn't read the final five words or didn't understand or didn't sort of try to read into his meaning. That's especially true for professional athletes. I mean, people, people were furious with Bayless. I, I understand why. I, I don't think it reflects, I don't think that anger reflects what he was trying to say in this tweet specifically, but I do think it reflects and is due to sort of the persona that Skip Bayless has built up for a long time. And not only that, but it's something that you can see and hear in the way he tried to address it the morning afterward on his show Undisputed on Fox Sports 1. We're going to take a look at all of that today in the dang apostrophe. I know when you ask me about these injuries and, and, and I give you my thoughts, if you really want to figure it out, I think Danny O'Neill has the best uh, translations for me here. I appreciate that, Pete. I am Danny O'Neill, author of a newsletter, The Dang Apostrophe, which is available on Substack. Also host of a podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. Also videos that are posted on YouTube. You might ask why it is The Dang Apostrophe. Well, like a certain punctuation mark in my last name, I keep hanging around, hanging around. Kids got alligator blood. Can't get rid of him. Not yet. Made it into the new year. We're going to be talking about a couple things today. The first is going to be Skip Bayless's comments and scrutiny that he's facing in the wake of the injury to DeMar Hamlin. Also mention how the NFL screwed up in terms of scheduling for the Week 18 games, specifically hosing Seattle. The most recent edition of my newsletter, which I sent out on Monday, updated Seattle's playoff positioning. Also, its draft position And looked at the reason why it was absolutely better for Seattle to have won Sunday against the Jets. Even even if they don't end up making the playoffs, it's better for them to have won. Even if it cost them draft positioning, it's better for them to have won. We'll get into all that a little bit later. But first, I wanted to look through exactly what happened with regard to Skip Bayless. And it starts in the wake as like everybody watching the game last night between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills. And and early in that game, one of the Bills players suffered an injury. Um, DeMar Hamlin, who's a defensive back. And I, I want to put it together sort of in the timeline that it happened, where the score is 7-3. I think the Bengals have their second possession. They're driving down. It's a... It's a significant collision that happens, but it's not immediate where you... I mean, DeMar Hamlin got up after the hit, and then he collapsed, and then it was clear to me very, very 
quickly how quickly the trainers got out on the on the field that something was wrong. ESPN ends up basically coming back, going to commercial, coming back, going to commercial. Like they do that three times. Like it's very clear that there is a medical emergency happening. Then we see on TV the reaction among all the players. Then there's the question about whether the game will resume once DeMar Hamlin is loaded into the ambulance and taken off the field. At that point, we know CPR has been administered on the field. It's it's clearly a dire medical emergency, and no one really knows what's going to happen. And there's a lot of scrutiny now on how close the league came to restarting the game. I know Joe Buck on, on ESPN said that the league had indicated the teams had five minutes to warm up and then they'd resume play. Subsequently, this is Tuesday morning. Um, there's there's dispute from the league office about that. I think everybody, the immediate reaction was, oh my God, that's horrible. You feel extremely bad for the player. You feel bad for his family, his teammates. Like it's clearly this awful situation. And you also, like if you're like me, I felt a little conflicted about this game that I enjoy watching for entertainment, the risk that that entails for the participants, like whether it's conflicted or sort of, it was clear that someone was in a very, very dire situation. Balanced in that, in the sports commentary, is the question of whether the game will resume, whether it should resume, and... Everybody kind of knowing it's kind of gross and gauche to even talk about that given the severity of, of the of the situation for DeMar Hamlin. Skip Bayless sends a tweet. No doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of the game, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome, which suddenly seems so irrelevant. I don't follow Skip on Twitter. I, I, I generally try not to consume his content. Um, I, I think he's a blowhard. I think... I don't know whether what, if what Skip does is an act and he never breaks character or if he really takes himself as seriously as, as he presents himself on TV. Like this is a person who talks about we compete hard on this show. This is and he and he he is unflinchingly serious about the things he does. Which, to my eyes, I look at some of the things he says, which are preposterous. It is preposterous the lengths he goes to to, to diminish LeBron James' skill as a player. It 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 defies like and I can't tell if that's an act. Or if he really has convinced himself and really believes the things that he's saying. So in general, I didn't like Skip's newspaper column before he became a TV personality. I don't like his style of journalism. I don't like his perspective on sports. I also recognize that he is a uniquely lucrative, I wouldn't even say popular, because he makes money off of people that hate him, but he is he is a uniquely lucrative figure in today's sports media environment for a lot of reasons. And I saw his tweet because the reaction everybody was having. And so I thought 
he's I, I thought what he'd tweeted didn't include the last five words, which suddenly seems so irrelevant. I thought that his tweet, no doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome. The way people were reacting to it, like I thought that's the ex- the full extent of the tweet was that he was making the point that like, I understand it's a serious injury, but they have to go on because of the importance of the game. The last five words change it. Like it's, it, it, it's a different meeting. I didn't. I didn't respond to anything he said. Like, I didn't, and I didn't pass commentary on it. Like, but you watched, and man, and I'm not sure if I've seen as many pro athletes go after an opinion as directly as this one. Like, and to be fair, I think most of it was former athletes now in media. Like, Kendrick Perkins called him sick in the head. Steven Jackson, <laughs> Steven Jackson said he was going to slap him the next time he saw him. You saw Reggie Bush responded. Like there were a lot of people. And basically it was just like, do you ghoul? How could you do this? This is, they responded to it as if those final five words weren't attached to it, which suddenly seems so irrelevant, which I can, <laughs> here's the part, because I can get how in his head, he thought he was making the point that on the one hand, you have the importance of the game. On the other hand, you realize that the importance of the game isn't as relevant as the young man's health. He just, it's, it's, it's not communicated clearly. It's a poorly worded tweet. And the emphasis in the thought, like the point that he's making is clearly on the importance of the game. I'm also watching the reaction and seeing that, okay, Everybody's really mad at him. And honestly, like I think there's two reasons for that. One of which has nothing to do with Skip and one of which has everything to do with Skip. The first, there was, whether people realized it or not, a desire to find a villain in this story. A really sad thing happened a really sad thing that is an unfortunate possibility because of the violent nature of that game. And it's not anyone's fault other than the violence of that game. DeMar Hamlin chose to play in the sport. I don't know him specifically. I'm going to presume that he loves the sport. He was injured while playing the sport. That's not the NFL's fault. That's not his coach's fault. It's damn sure not his opponent's fault. It happened. And all of us feel bad. The first villain that kind of gets singled out and is still getting it to a certain extent is the NFL. And they might really deserve it. Joe Buck on ESPN said... The league has given the teams five minutes to warm up and then they'll resume. Tuesday, I saw Troy Vincent, who works in the league office, come out and say, I think he works in the league office. I know at one point he's toggled back and forth between the league office and the NFLPA, but I'm pretty sure he's a league, saying that that's not true, that there was never anything given that. I I don't want to get caught up in the particulars of how close it came to restarting. 
the NFL could have and should have been very clear and much more clear than they were about the mechanics. And really, it should not have come as close as it appeared it came to them restarting play. Anyone watching it could tell that those players were not in a position that they should be asked to continue. And there's no reason to continue other than the business of the NFL, which is not reason to justify what it would be to put those players. There's just, it's, it's clear that it wasn't business as usual. Something happened that everybody that's covered the league has said has never happened. So, but I don't want to get my outrage of like the NFL came within five minutes of, of restarting the game and it took the coaches because I don't know the exact logistics and timeline. What I'll say is they didn't play, which is good. It should have been much clearer, much earlier that the players weren't going to be asked to play. And that didn't happen. But ultimately, however, the fact that they didn't play is the most important thing. So that desire for a villain that is trained on the NFL a lot, maybe maybe rightfully, is now also being trained on Skip. That's the part that's not his fault, right? Like anybody that said something publicly that trivialized the the health or or that that deprioritized that put the significance of the game of the outcome of that result ahead of Demar Hamlin was going to get it from people publicly and honestly deservedly so like it is but there's a people were primed to feel that way my own psychological analysis is that it's because a lot of us because I felt kind of conflicted about does my own appetite for this sport lead to the injury that that young man just suffered and what that's going to do to his family. And there's a desire to make yourself feel better by pointing out how I'm not the really inhumane one. I'm not, I'm not the one, at least I can recognize that this, that the, the, the real important thing is that young man's health, not like this goober here who's talking about, you can't delay the game, which Skip didn't actually say. So that's that's the one part of it. Why did it get trained on him? That's not Skip's fault. Here's the part that is Skip's fault and the part that you'll hear more clearly as we listen to how he handled the reaction to his tweet. Skip has made a career out of demanding people take him seriously. Not give anyone the benefit of the doubt. He has created a persona that is uber serious and unflinching and he's going to call it like he sees it and there's never a wink at the audience that what he's doing is, in my mind, obviously ridiculous. He never laughs at like, oh, you know, this is kind of just how we do things. There's terms that people will use for it. Rage farm is one that I've heard where, and the idea is that the host says things that 
trigger an emotional reaction from within the audience. And the idea at its core is half the people are going to agree with you, half the people are going to hate what you say, but everybody's going to watch you. And with Skip, that is that is off. There, there are way more people that disagree with Skip than agree with him. There are way more people that loathe Skip than actually agree with him. But in the way it's been set up over the years and the foils that he's been set against and just the dynamics of how our current media environment and the attention economy works, what Skip does is very lucrative. He does not treat the athletes he talks about fairly. He doesn't. He does not make his opinions based on what I would consider empirical observation. He makes his opinions about what will evince a reaction. He has created an environment where he's trained people to be outraged at him. So in this particular instance, when you have someone who has acted this way throughout their career and they start out a tweet by saying, no doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome. How do you think they're going to react? And when you have a somewhat ambiguous tale which suddenly seems so irrelevant now, which suddenly seems so irrelevant. I want to get the quote direct, which suddenly seems so irrelevant. If I read it a few times, I realize that he's saying that the importance of this regular season game seems irrelevant. But you read it through the first time and that's, that's not that clear. So if everybody jumps on his neck over that, am I supposed to feel bad for him? Am I supposed to say, no, 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 you guys need to be fair to him and the, the exact words that he used? Give him the benefit of the doubt here. I know it looks bad. I, I know it sounds bad. I know it sounds like he's saying it, but you can kind of tell what he really means here. Am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to be more charitable to him than he has been to LeBron James? Yeah, probably. Probably I should. Like, that's probably the more respectable, it's probably the more ethical thing. Do I feel bad that everyone didn't do that? Do I feel bad that it seems like a significant chunk of the pro athletes who have spent years either in his crosshairs or watching him dump on their colleagues, did not provide him that grace. No, I do not feel bad about that. In fact, I think it's pretty funny. I used to feel this way about Terrell Owens, in that Terrell Owens would attract a great deal of attention and then he would complain about the way he was scrutinized and feel that it was unfair. And I actually think 
Terrell Owens has been overly vilified over the years. But I also feel that if you do things to make sure everybody looks at you, you can't then complain about the exact things that they start scrutinizing. Like you can't go out of your way to make yourself this constant center of attention and then say, I wish people would, would only pay attention to this part of me. You have a certain amount of control over how much attention you get. Like not all of the control, like not, but you could do things to me. And if you try to get people to look at you, it is at the very least misguided to think that they're only going to look at the things that you want or like outright stupid. Like one of those, like, and Skip Bayless has chosen like it's a choice at this point. Like this is this is the persona he's crafted. Like this this is who he is. And so to say at this point like whoa 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 whoa. Well, you got you've got to be more fair to me now. You you've got to be more fair. Okay? I you can argue that, but I'm going to tell you that that's a futile futile idea because you've trained people how to listen to you and how to view you. And you've trained them to hate certain things and approaches that you take. And this is one of those. And you, you kind of boxed yourself into a corner. So I, I don't, I don't think it's fair, but I just don't feel that bad about it either. I, I kind of feel like you're being victimized by the machine that you've played into the persona that you've built, the way that you've, you've documented like the, just, just the general way that you've, you put things together. Now, I was interested to see what would happen on his show this morning. So let's cue that up because I think the way that he handled it gives you a pretty strong indication that of of why he ended up in these crosshairs. Like he, he's someone who can't get over himself if you gave him a grappling hook. And that's that's a big part of what's at the root of this. Good morning, everybody, and welcome into Undisputed here on FS1. I'm Jen Hale. That's Skip Bayless. Good morning, Skip. How are we today? We've had better days, Jen. <laughs> Uh, I don't think they were quite on the same page there about how to how to start this. Um, yeah. Indeed, indeed, Skip. Let's jump right into today's show, Skip. Last night's Bills-Bengals game came to an abrupt halt when Bills safety DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field. Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest and was given CPR on the field to restore his heartbeat before being transferred to a local hospital where right now he is in critical condition. The game was suspended just over an hour before being officially postponed. Skip, what was going through your mind during all of this? Jen, allow me to say up front that I apologize for what we're going to set out to do here today if it offends anyone because we're we're going to try to do the show pretty much as we usually do the show but i'll admit up front 
I'm still shook up by what happened last night to DeMar Hamlin. In fact, I'm still wrecked. In fact, I'm not sure I'm capable of doing this show today. I don't have... I have a lot of sympathy for anybody who had to talk about this for an extended amount of time. And there... At one point last night, I was thought to myself, I'm grateful I don't host a radio show tomorrow. This is, this is, this is a hard assignment. And, and the, reason, the reason it's hard is because... Not because I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say for three hours. I feel very badly for DeMar Hamlin. It makes me incredibly sad to think about the pain that his that he, his friends, his family, the people who love him are going through, his teammates, his opponents. On a, on a very universal level, it makes me feel bad for everybody that's playing tackle football. Like it's, it's really... It's an awful situation. I feel conflicted and slightly guilty about how much I enjoy a sport that puts players at tremendous risk. And there's a whole separate conversation about that, the fact that players are choosing to play, that presumably DeMar Hamlin loves football. And none of that, like all of that gets away from the basic fact of a young man who's 24 years old suffered an extreme medical emergency through no one's fault other than it's it's a violent game and in some way it's a cruel world like that i don't know how to talk about that for three hours and so so i want to say that like i get kind of what skip's saying about i don't know how to do this here's what makes me just bristle he's making it about him i don't know if i can do this i apologize if what we're about to do offends anyone all of these things are centering him that's part of the reason that he's a good host he creates a world that he's at the center of and people for whatever reason gravitate toward it makes it in a situation like this that he's he's not built or accustomed to centering other people. In this case, the people covering and talking about this event are witnesses and observers and bystanders. I truly do not care how conflicted Skip Bayless feels about the injury the young man suffered. I don't. And knowing that in the background there has been this massive uproar over the thing this man tweeted makes me feel that he's deflecting. That he is turning himself into the person who is the emotional the emotionally bereft one this morning i will let it continue but after barely sleeping on it i decided to give it a try maybe i'll fail maybe we will fail but we're going to try can't blame anybody for trying right he's going to give it his big earnest effort maybe he is this choked up 
But if he is, I'm not sure whether it's because of the injury that DeMar Hamlin suffered or because how mad everyone is at him, including some very prominent people that he talks about on a regular basis. Like He's basically saying that a significant chunk... I've never seen any media member get the level of vitriol from the number of professional athletes and former professional athletes that I saw last night. We wrestled through much of the night whether to even do a show today because it felt like in our minds, we almost can't win with this because the last thing we want to try to do is come off as insensitive to what this young man is going through in a life or death situation. I appreciate that part. Like, I, th- I, think that's, I think that's actually pretty well said. The last thing we want to do is offend anyone by trying to do what we always do, which is talk about sports. As this show goes on, we're going to try to talk about a little bit of sports, but we're going to continue to talk about what happened to this young man last night and try to sort back through it with help from you and the audience. And we ask you now, if you'd like to tweet us your emotions of the night and of this morning about what happened to DeMar Hamlin, please do so. You can tweet us at at undisputed, at undisputed, and I will be sharing some of your tweets and your emotions as we share our experience of last night through this very difficult morning for all of us. Okay. Some of this is valid, right? There is, and actually I'll say this, Aaron Taylor, who is, uh, I I know him because he went to De La Salle High School, then he went to Notre Dame. He's an offensive lineman, played in the league for a number of years with Green Bay primarily. Um, Aaron Taylor tweeted out something last night that I actually thought was a really good suggestion. He encouraged ESPN and the NFL to reach out to a mental health professional to, to talk to people about how to deal with not just how DeMar Hamlin's teammates and other players would be dealing with the trauma, but how people would deal with the trauma of, of having watched that. Like, that is traumatic. So, what Skip's doing... No, I don't want Skip Bayless being the one that does that. I don't think Skip Bayless is the mental health professional. But that idea of, let's, like, sharing emotions, like, that's a valid approach. The fact that he's doing that before he's acknowledged what he tweeted and why... I presume this is so incredibly emotional for him or addressing the fact that his co-host isn't there. Eh, that, I don't know if I would call that forthright. I think there's, this is a, he's, he's telling people, but, but, but like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, it's a valid thing that he's talking about of a, it's hard to do a sports show without feeling like you're minimizing the actual the actual medical crisis and the implications of that like it is hard i think i think that's very true he's going to try to do it it's difficult he's opening up communication lines to say okay you can 
share your emotions. Like, I, I, I think all of those I think all of those are pretty valid. Obviously, my partner, Shannon Sharp, is not here today. I look forward to seeing him tomorrow. But I would like to work back through what I went through last night as I watched this unfold. He's centering himself again. I want to work through what I went through. This was obviously... You could argue the biggest Monday night football game of the year. It got off to a rip-roaring start. Joe Burrow goes right up the field and scores, and it's 7 to nothing. Then Buffalo gets a field goal, and it's 7 to 3. And at about the six-minute mark of the first quarter, as you well know, Joe Burrow completed a pass to T. Higgins, went for 13 yards. To the Buffalo 48. Okay, I'm not going to have him regurgitate this. And just uh, that obviously he's 24 years of age until that happened. And before I go into that, let me put DeMar Hamlin in some perspective for you. He's 24 years of age. He's out of McKeesport, Pennsylvania. Went to Pitt. Okay. So, has Skip ever talked about DeMar Hamlin before? And saying that as a, as a question, if I had to guess, I'd say no. That that man's, that player's name has never come across Skip's lips before. And here he's presenting it to you like, I'm going to contextualize and give you the full sort of description of this young man's humanity. Was drafted in the sixth round two drafts ago. So this is his second year. And the book on him was, coming out of Pitt, that he would probably just be an average backup player in the National Football League and a special teams player. And because of an injury to Micah Hyde, which took place in the second game of the year, DeMar Hamlin got his opportunity in the National Football League. And he seized it. And he ran with it in ways he didn't run that great before he was drafted. He was 4-6 in the 40. Okay. This is theater. And, and I'm not saying that as, hey, this is embellished and he's not really feeling this. But this is a TV host positioning himself as, I'm going to educate you on all of the nuances of this player's story. And and the reason I say it's theater is because I don't think Skip knew any of this before the injury, right? But he's, I'm going to tell you why this is so powerfully impactful to me. Remember, like, this is how he's set this up. I'm going to go through how I experienced this. So when he's sharing these things, and that's, this is part of where you get into, okay, it's a TV show, and Skip's an entertainer, right? So this is a totally valid approach for that. Like that that's you're he is a narrator that is telling a story in a way that will resonate with the viewers. And it's not that his motivation is is bad here. He's trying to give you the full story of who this player was. 
the spot where I would say it's disingenuous is, again, we haven't addressed what he hasn't addressed, what he said, what he tweeted, why everyone's mad at him. Presumably, and I don't know that, we know his co-host isn't there. Why is it just Skip? And all of Skip's overwrought emotion. No, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say overwrought because he he could very well be fully feeling this. The emotion that Skip is portraying is because of the injury that happened to the player. It's possible that's true. It's also possible that part of the emotion that Skip is feeling is because he has been vilified publicly over the perception, whether it was accurate or not, that he was minimizing the injury to that player. I don't think it's honest what Skip's doing. I think it is a tactic. I think it's a tactic by a longtime TV personality who is controlling the way he's telling this story to maximize sympathy for him. And the reason it's dishonest is because that sympathy should be aimed at DeMar Hamlin. Not about the journalist here who is telling us all the nuances of DeMar Hamlin's story and why this has so profoundly affected him. But he took off. Maybe you weren't that aware of him, but he has played huge for the Buffalo Bills this year. He is second on the team in tackles, playing in the safety spot. And obviously, Buffalo is one of the best teams, if not the best team, in pro football. And was setting out at Cincinnati to prove just that. This was a great, huge stage for this young man. Reportedly, much of his family was there to support him. God bless them. And then that happened. Unprecedented happened. I have been covering this league. I've been writing about, commenting on this league for about 50 years. So I've been there and done all of that. I've seen it all. And trust me, I... Why does that matter? I mean, I, I guess it tells you the, that this is more serious than anything else he's ever seen. But you can just say that without, I've covered everything. I've been all of these places. Centering yourself. Like that's, Skip has a world where everything revolves around him. And this story that if it has anything to do with him, he's not explaining why yet. He's centering himself. It's impactful to him because in his 50 years of experience, he's never seen anything like this. Well, that speaks to the severity of the situation for the player. Not for him. Not for Skip. Never ever seen anything like that happen. Before you knew it, an ambulance was on the field, not just a stretcher, not just a cart, an ambulance. That's when you knew this was different. Reportedly, CPR was immediately administered 
because he suffered cardiac arrest. And now his teammates and pretty soon also the Bengals are gathered around looking into the face of a young man, age 24, who is literally fighting for his life. CPR. I don't want to speculate on what happened or why it happened or how it happened or what the the situation was, because I don't know. I had my thoughts, but I don't know. Nobody knows yet exactly what transpired, what caused that to happen. But it happened. And those young men around that young man got shook way worse than I'm shook right now. And they were so shaken that they were unable to play football for the rest of that night, as you know. But this went on and on and on to the point where unprecedented turned into Oh, my God, what what has happened in all my years? I've never seen anything like this, because obviously I've seen horrific injuries. I wasn't there the night that Daryl Stingley got paralyzed by Jack Tatum. It was a preseason game, August of 1978. But I was watching Monday Night Football when a guy who became a very good friend of mine, Joe Theismann, got his leg broken by Lawrence Taylor, compound fracture where the bone came through the skin. It was horrific. And the game stopped for a while, but the show must go on. And that was always the NFL's attitude is, next man up, the show must go on. Maybe we've had an awakening here because... The show didn't go on last night for the first time in the history of this league. That a life and death situation took precedence over next man up football. Okay. We'll see where this goes. I think he's trying to position himself as part of that he feared the NFL was going business as usual. And he couldn't see how they could do that. And that's what he was trying to say in his tweet. I might be, I might be, I might not be generous enough with that though. I might really trying to be seeing ill intent on Skip's part where it isn't there. So let's let him continue. So at that point I had tweeted twice already. My first tweet ended with that. I just said a prayer for DeMar and his family. My second tweet was about so many horrific injuries, but this is very different in all caps. And then came my third tweet, which I believe was widely misconstrued, misinterpreted. I don't follow what's happening on Twitter. I just tweet. Okay. I have a question here if he's going to actually say, repeat the words in his tweet or show the tweet, because a common tactic in crisis management is to tell a person who's apologizing never to acknowledge the specifics of what they're apologizing for, that you don't want to say it again, essentially. 
Like don't don't repeat what you're in trouble for. Don't go back into that. Apologize, but don't don't acknowledge it, which is actually a problem. Like a good apology should acknowledge specifically what what was done if what you regret. You you should acknowledge here's what I said, here's why I regret that. I I wonder if he's not gonna acknowledge it. But my boss here at Fox called and said, Hey, people are really reacting strongly to your tweet. Maybe you should clarify, which I immediately did. But my first tweet was simply as a journalist, I was putting myself in the heads of the NFL executives, starting with Roger Goodell, who are having to figure out on the fly what to do here. And I stated the glaringly obvious, which is that no doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of the game. This is right. Okay, I want to like this is good. I, I think it's really good that he did this. Like I it's it's good that he is he is laying out exactly what he said in the middle of the vortex of this situation when it was unclear what they were going to do with the game. But I made the point that this late in the season, that with a game of this magnitude, it's very difficult to postpone it. Yet the end of my tweet was all of which suddenly seems so irrelevant for the first time in the history of the NFL. My point was it was all rendered irrelevant by what was happening on the football field in front of all those football players, those gladiators, those warriors. They were shaken to their foundations. So I immediately re- I didn't retweet, I just clarified. And I'll state it again, nothing is more important than that young man's health. That was the point of my last tweet. I'm sorry if that was misunderstood, but his health is all that matters. Again, everything else is irrelevant. Once Skip got around to the actual explanation, I I thought he was fine. Like he could have done better. Like I'm but in the general here's what I said, here's what I meant. Like, I, I actually, it's strange to see how he's unable to sort of acknowledge how he was wrong, though. Because how he's wrong is that his words didn't really measure up to his intent. Right? Like, the way he phrased and structured it didn't reflect his intent. And instead of saying like, oh, I worded it poorly, there's kind of this indignance of, you didn't read what I wrote. But that's sort of a critique of style and presentation, right? Like that's not sort of, he's not lying. (laughs) but he's refusing to acknowledge sort of how his words came across. And part of the reason that his words came across that way is because of the character, because of the style, because of who he is as a media professional and how he's built. 
his brand. I hate that term, but it, but it but it fits here. Like he's he's been a contrarian, this dogmatic, insistent contrarian, and and in this case, he's kind of like, wait, 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 wait. Like you you've got to read the whole thing. You've got to understand what I was trying to say. That's not how he's worked in criticizing athletes. And that's why you see the athletes jumping on his neck. Honestly, like that's, they don't like the dude. I don't think they're wrong to not like the dude. When you don't like the guy and it's an emotionally charged situation and you're dealing with somebody's health, you're probably not inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt or to provide a generous reading or to read it three times to try and understand what he really meant. So let me give you an alternative way that that he could have handled this. And if he had hired me, Danny O'Neill, certified apology provider, apology consultant, that's what it'll be, because I'm not going to write your apology for you, but I'll consult you on how to apologize. I have extensive experience with apologizing. In fact, I'm someone who's known to apologize for things I don't really need to apologize for. Angel Breedlove broke up with me in the seventh grade because I wouldn't stop asking her if she was mad at me even when she wasn't. I am someone who is well-experienced on how to construct an apology. And the steps are fairly simple. Acknowledge what you did. Say that you understand why this was hurtful to someone else. Provide briefly a statement of your intentions if they were different from the actual effect. If you didn't mean to or didn't anticipate the harm that came from your actions, you can provide that, but do that briefly. You don't want to spend too much time there, otherwise you'll sound like you're making excuses. Repeat the apology. And then you generally understand that the other person has the decision on whether or not to forgive you. In this case, should Skip say, I'm sorry? That is a matter of sort of his own discretion. I don't think the tweet as constructed was wrong. I think it was awkward. I think that it is very easy to misunderstand what the underlying point that he was making was. I believe he is a communications professional and especially given his experience should have better anticipated how people might react to what he was saying. But all of the, I don't think he has to say, I'm sorry, I said something I didn't mean. I think what he has to say is, boy, I didn't communicate the thought I was having very clearly. And I can understand why so many people thought I was saying the importance of this game makes it impossible to reschedule or difficult to reschedule, or I can't understand how they'll reschedule it. By saying those final five words, which all seems irrelevant, 
I thought I was making it clear that the true important thing was DeMar Hamlin's health. Clearly, I failed to do that. So I don't know if he needs to say sorry, but something like that of saying, I constructed a tweet and made a statement that put the emphasis on the scheduling difficulties and didn't adequately make it clear the priority was the player's health. I didn't intend to do that. I thought by saying, which all seems irrelevant now, I was making it clear that his health was most important. Clearly, I did not. I really regret that. I wished I'd worded it differently. My words didn't reflect the intention I had. It's a much different way to come across. The reason, and this is my own psychoanalysis, the reason Skip can't do that, he's not built that way, and he hasn't built his career that way. He hasn't built his career by giving other people's perspective room or taking into account others. It's all self-centered. It's all id. It's all him. This is what I think and why I'm right. And that that thing that makes it so hard for him to directly acknowledge a shortcoming of his own is also why so many people are uncharitable or not giving him the benefit of the doubt or taking their first read and assuming the worst of him. And I, and I see those... I see that as a consequence of what he's done rather than some sort of, oh, it's really unfortunate and too bad that's happened. It's like, well, yeah, man, you make a career out of, out of acting that way and trying to get people to react and be mad at you. Don't come crying to me when they really get mad and you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's not what I really meant. It's like you've, you've been flipping that lever for a long time. You play the rage machine. And now the rage machine turned back on you and didn't exhibit the kind of nuance that you wanted. Like, sorry, no, I'm not. Like, that's that's a foreseeable consequence of what you've been doing. And the way he apologized of, or the way he set up the situation by just dragging out how much it was about him. Like, it's just not. His inability to see this as anything other than how it affected him and how the reaction to his tweet has piled on to his already personally tormented experience of having watched this injury is just it's part of the it's part of the exact reason why he made the mistake he did in phrasing that poorly. He can't get beyond his own opinion. That's that's all that matters to that dude. And it's been incredibly lucrative for him. It has made not only him, but presumably the TV stations that have employed him before that, the newspapers that had him write columns, it has been lucrative for them as well. We know things about activating and triggering emotions when it comes to people's attention and how to be successful in media. We know that anger is four times as sticky 
as happiness when it comes to a tweet or getting a getting a reaction out of someone that if you tweet something that is angry it is four times like a power of four more likely to evince response to evoke response from from your audience than something that is the comparable level of happy skip has been pulling these levers certainly for the whole time he's been on TV. I think he's worked the same way when he was a columnist. And this is a result of it sometimes. If you make a living off of not seeing nuance and arguing about the taking the worst case interpretation of what someone else says, don't come crying when people do that to you. Before I wrap up, uh, this episode of the Dang Apostrophe, I do want to talk about one thing about the NFL that I think you can call them out for. Specifically, repeatedly. Like I, I, was, I was generally, I think I gave them a very charitable interpretation when we were talking about the restart to the Bills-Bengals game. Because everybody, and it's not, a, it's not wrong by any means of saying like, remember, it was the coaches who kept this game from restarting after a five-minute warm-up, not the league, like the league, and and I know that there's debate about the the actual specifics of that. And I would just say that the NFL could have and should have been much clearer about the game not needing to restart. And if they were planning to restart it, they got their butts saved by those two coaches. It's a pretty unprecedented situation. And I don't know all of the layers of sort of who said to ESPN that the game was going to start after a five-minute warm-up, how close that was to happening, like all of those. I don't know. I don't know. If they were considering replay, restarting that game, a terrible decision that was averted by the actual common sense of their coaches and the the emotional understanding that the coaches had of their players the empathy they were saved by the humanity of a football coach which in my experience of being around football coaches and i'll point you to steve sarkeesian absolutely losing his mind over someone touching him don't tend to be the most balanced most compassionate clearly those guys understood their players last night but here's one where the league absolutely absolutely shows i don't even want to say it's a level of corruption because corruption is it implies that there's uh, if you're corrupt does it imply that there's something underhanded going on compromised how compromised the nfl is by the money it gets from television there is no explanation for why Seattle is playing the Rams before the Lions play the Packers other than that's what TV wants. The idea of fair play, the idea of appropriateness, of even just in general, like there's the only reason the Packers are playing the Lions on Sunday night is NBC wants to show Aaron Rodgers in a winner-go-home situation. 
that's it. That is it. There are a lot of reasons why they should not be playing after the Seahawks and Rams. And the foremost is the Lions begin this weekend with a chance to make the playoffs. However, by the time that game starts, if Seattle is to beat the Rams, they may not have a chance of making the playoffs. By playing that game later, you mess with a possible incentive. You mess with, for what reason? And you can tell me all you want, like the Lions hate the Packers and they're going to play as hard. The idea of knocking them out, it's not going to make any difference and whatever. What reason would you not kick those games off at the same time or have the Lions play the Packers first? What reason? Because I just gave you a very good reason of why the Lions and Packers should not be played afterward, which is that if they play at the same time, the Lions start the game with a chance of making the playoffs. If they play afterward, the Lions might not. Is it conceivable that could affect some of the decision-making that goes on? Yes, it is. It's very conceivable. Right down to the fact of a tie. The Lions could play for a tie on Sunday night if Seattle loses. The Lions probably would not play for a tie if those games were happening concurrently. The Lions would get in if Seattle loses and they tie. So give me a reason why the Packers and the Lions are playing later. There's only one. It's that NBC wants that game. Before the schedule came out, I was dead certain that Titans-Jaguars would be Sunday night. It's a winner-gets-in game. It's as close as there is to the the losers out, the winner gets in. And NBC has, I, I mean, that's generally been there. In 2010, the 6-8 and eight Seahawks, no, I'm sorry, 6-9 and nine Seahawks hosted the 7-8 and eight Rams. Winner won the division. First team ever to win the division with a losing record. That game was on Sunday night. That's generally been the approach for it. And in this case, that Titans-Jaguars game is on Saturday night. Oh, Why not put that game Sunday night and put Packers-Lions on Saturday night if you're insistent about getting little Aaron Rodgers on primetime? The only reason is NBC has paid so much money that they want that game. That's the only one I can see. Okay, what if you if you're insistent about putting Aaron Rodgers on Sunday night on NBC? Have the Seahawks kick off at five forty-five. Have that be the late game. I'm sure Seattle would prefer that rather than knowing that for them to get into the playoffs, they're going to need a Lions team that knows it can't reach the postseason to beat Green Bay. I'm sure Seattle would prefer NBC would never allow that. They pay for that sole window, right? They pay for the right to be the only game on on Sunday nights. They're not going to give that up for fairness, equity. The commissioner, I'm reading a book called The League, and it was written, I think it's the 1980s. 
And it's about kind of when the commissioner stopped being the most important person in the league, the most powerful person in the league, when Roselle, and it, it has to do with all of the stadium moving and the, the departure of the Rams from Los Angeles and what the Raiders did. And the, the fact that the franchises became so economically valuable and you were able to move them that sort of Roselle stopped being able to tell all the owners what to do. The NFL commissioner... He has power over player discipline, but all the other stuff, like the commissioner should be in charge of fair play. Like that at the at the core of it, isn't that why you have a commissioner? Because he's in charge of making everything fair. And in this case, this isn't fair. Or it's clearly not the fairest. And he's in well, he can't do anything about it. Like either the TV executives have given the NFL so much money that you can't tell them what to do, you can't resist what they want, or you're not that concerned about fair play. Like one of those two things, like it is a terrible reflection on that. And I will I will close by making this comparison. FIFA, the organization that governs global soccer. FIFA pretty much it, I, it's incredibly corrupt. I mean, all of the stories about the, the bidding process for the World Cup that was just played in, in, in Qatar, all of the different stories about what, over the years, I mean, God, the U.S. has tried to extradite and prosecute FIFA executives for all of the corruption, like flat out, like big cash bribes, like all of that stuff. FIFA who is known to do just about anything for $5, has the final games in the group stage of its World Cup tournament kick off at the same time. Why? Because that's what's fair. Because if you play one of the games earlier, the other teams have a better idea of what they need to advance, and that's not fair. It creates, it messes with the incentives. I can guarantee Fox, which paid however much money for the World Cup, would have loved to not have those games on simultaneously, essentially cannibalizing the audience. And they're switching between Fox and FS1. Stack them back to back. But even FIFA, however conflicted it is ethically, however compromised it is by money, actually does something that is in the best interest of fair play as opposed to TV revenue. And if you're in a situation where your league looks more beholden to money than it does to fair play, that probably should give you some room to reflect upon just exactly how you're administering your sport. That should be a very, very clear reflection. It is a travesty and ridiculous and for no good reason other than TV executive desires and programming that Seattle is playing before the Lions and the Packers on Sunday. It's ridiculous. I'm Danny O'Neill. This is the Dang Apostrophe. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate it, review it. 
It is the best way to let people know about it. Also, check out my Substack, which is a newsletter with a paid subscriber option. You can also check out my YouTube channel. That's going to do it for the January 3rd episode. See you soon. Then more Sean Lane. Shut up, Danny.